0: Kia ora koutou, uh, ko Charlotte Yatesahoe. Thanks very much for asking me to be stranded in paradise with you. Director James Littlewood has asked me to traverse four poetry to song projects I've been involved in, namely Baxter, Tufari, Ihimaira, and Mansfield. I'll chat a bit and we'll play some songs from those albums. I'm preparing for this evening, turned into a long look in the rear-vision mirror for me. I found the first letter that started the ball rolling dated 21st of January 1998. Over the last 23 years, these projects have been my own strange experience of being stranded in paradise. In a paradise of intersection, a collision of poetry and song, an Eden, maybe even a Glen Eden, of words and music, However, it's been episodic. I haven't been a full-time devotional in this paradise. It's been pretty tidal. There have been periods of intense involvement, for sure. When each project is in full flood, I feel the force of the flow. But the tide eventually recedes with a natural ebb, and that too is like a stranding. Just when I think a particular project has been boxed up, something or someone triggers a reboot, throwing off a new spark that buries itself deep in my heart. And that triggers a now familiar series of nags. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Would that even work? What if we tried that, or that, and that, and that? Initially, my idea was pretty simple. Take a well-known poet with a great body of work and an interesting, preferably controversial, backstory, rustle up a bunch of hot recording artists with strong, preferably stellar track records, and get each artist to compose and set their own setting of a poem by said well-known poet. Release those songs as an album and produce live versions of those as a concert or two. But there are some caveats. The poet's work has to be seriously susceptible and inviting enough to inspire a posse of extremely able songwriters and composers. The poetry has to have enough imagery to evoke, enough thematically to provoke, enough language flexible, enough to deal with songwriting's needs for immediacy and clarity, and to be welded to music, plus enough conviction on my part to mitigate a project's collapse. Can the chosen artist make something singable? Because a poem ain't a song. Though close cousins, songs and poems are not identical I came to this idea sideways when I was asked to write a theme song for Parade 98, a commemoration for soldiers who served in Vietnam and I was struggling with writing lyric relevant both to the veteran's experience and a current audience. As part of the project research I was sent a resource kit with published print material from the late 60s letters to the editor articles, photos, stuff that gave a stranger to the period a real flavour of that zeitgeist. Quite a time capsule but the writing style felt so dated in the letters and reportage, then suddenly there was a poem that had been read as part of a protest rally. The words literally leapt off the page, with a bounce in a groove, stuffed full of cliché-less end rhyme, and cultural dilemma, and pungent nouns, a shotgun, a hangover, what a soldier says dying in a paddy field, and what Te Rau Paraha would have done if he'd fought in Vietnam. The poem was called The Gunner's Lament by James K. Baxter, and I got completely distracted and started thought-writing that as a song, and then wanting more, shot down to Wellington's public library for the collected works of JKB, doorstep edition, and I found wealth, hundreds of poems, and I started hearing other voices here too, Dave Dobbin, Greg Johnson, Martin Phillips, Andrew Bruff, Emma Paki, Mahi Toka, Jordan Rain, Rawiri Grace. The plo- com- film composer's Plan Nine and two poet-composers' collaboration, Sam Hunt and Gareth Farr, and David Eagleton to work with David Downs. I had permission and support from the tirelessly gracious Mrs. Jackie Baxter, A.K.A. J.C. Sturm. There was such breadth of work I could set the artists loose to choose their own poems, a little nudging, but the final sign-off of which poems were to be used and which artists could participate was retained by Jackie. It was great working with her. And I relished the treks and phone calls and spidery handwritten letters to and from Kakariki. The album became a snapshot of style and chronology of Baxter's poetry with a mix of pop stars and independent recording artists. We stuck with word perfect or extract rather than adaptations. I'm being a little light on logistics. Suddenly I was mired in the midst of a funding dance and the minutiae of emails and phone calls and faxes, remember them? Not all plain sailing, but there was helpful momentum built from the changing of the Garda and the type of music that was being played on national radio. And the then music programmer Kay Glamazina who offered us the Helen Young Studio. Each artist got a day of recording and mixing to their track. It was an amazing resource. Not everybody used it because another shift was underway. By now, 50% of the artists had home studios as analogue gave way to digital recording. But I can't tell you how exciting it was hearing the artists' songs for the first time. And sometimes I was in the room with them. I got a call from Sam Hunt, who'd just got off the Inter-Islander when he'd been touring. He was in town, and could he record his poem now? So I rang Sam Negri, who ran ran Pacific Sound, and we hurtled down to Manners Mall to meet Sam Hunt, who did his recording of the Ballad of Concrete Grady in three takes, with one correction of an and to a but. Hunt's comment was, it's hard to do better than Jim. Sam Hunt kept telling me throughout the recording,
1: "He, he wasn't musical,
0: I'm not musical, but when I forwarded that audio to composer Gareth Farr, he asked me what was the tempo we used for the click track, and I said none, model's own. He said Hunt's delivery was so metronomically accurate he could compose around it no drama. Not musical, my ass. So here's a point. Some poets can slide more readily into contemporary song if the rhythm's right. Anyway, there was great support from the 2000 New Zealand International Festival, helmed by Joseph Salig and Carla Van Zon, and the music biz was Alistair Kane from Universal Music. The thing went off with a hiss and a roar, with a small venue, James Cabaret, stuffed to the gunnels, and it trotted around a few festivals like a thing with a thousand heads and a top 40 album. Um, The poem I chose is called The Fiery Shirt.
1: with one woman Clear night A touch of fog Walking with one the turf we trot on Without speaking writhing of worms under the sectaries and the moon's great ruined face gazing up at you from the roots of the grass fiery shell the turf we trod on the fire shed and rose up from the turf we trod on to why Tired of what is cold life This torture room The chains and hooks and ropes Are always hung up Ready for use And kisses scold Words crush But the river flowed on A bell of calm to whom I said Pray for his mother when not yet able to die.
2: The fiery
1: shirt, it rose up from the turf we trod on. The fiery shirt, it rose up from the turf we trod on. The fiery shirt rose up from the turf we trod on. To why? Around my rest
0: Thank you very much. In 2003, I was approached by Te Ha, the Contemporary Māori Writers uh, Collective. It's an arm of Toi Māori Aotearoa. They thought it would be a good idea to supply the Baxter concept as a tribute to the poetry of Hone Tūwhare. The album Tūwhare came out in 2005 and charted top 40. Anyway, we had uh, three Wellington Town Hall shows in the 2006 International Festival and in March 2007, Auckland Arts Festival remounted the gig at the Civic Theatre and the entire Tufari Fano rocked up with with his son Rob Tufari making contact for the first time and we've had a happy association ever after. Unbeknownst to the cast, Hone had been flown up for the show, wheelchair and all, we were told this six, at six o'clock, with the show kicking off at eight. Let's just say backstage was heightened. He seemed to enjoy the show, agreeing loudly throughout, with scripting narrated by Rawari Paratene for all to hear. It was an emotional night. I could thank Kuna and Fano from the stage for their generous support and access, and if I never do another gig again, that one was a banger. So here's my setting of um, Hone's poem, Mad, by Hone funny? <laughs> <laughs> I'm too
3: early.
1: The long, slow minutes out my breath Inhale ready to balloon up into a high Before the slow exhalation of my excitement As you turn into the magic avenue of trees Your hand held up to me, your hand Your hand hand held up to me, your your hand Turn into the magic, turn into the magic Turn into the magic, turn into the magic Turn to the magic Turn into the magic To my multiple infarctions says Of coin silver leaves Turning a squint in air My full foot falls on the footpath With your name Twinkling in the autumn light Turn into the magic. Turn into the magic. Turn into the magic. Turn into the magic. As quickly as fog does boiling. past a tiny country station, just standing there, a ghost inexplicably shaken, shaken and lost shaken. and without saying, shaken, shaken and lost shaken. and without saying. me that is how that is how you infect me that is how
0: connection with the Auckland Arts Festival prompted an invitation to come up with another similar concept, and I thought about approaching Wati'ihimaira. Not a poet, but definitely musical. He had written a libretto, Waituhi, and studied music while at Victoria University. Could he come up with a series of lyrics that a new cast of composers could animate? The album was harder to put together. This was a different focus from a novelist with rather than a wordsmith, someone who had long-form plot to the fore, while I was looking for sonics and cadence, more pith, more concision. And all the contracts were signed up. Then, two months later, the accusation of plagiarism lobbed a grenade, well, a nail bomb, into the works. With the publication of the Truenna Sea, all hell broke loose. There was significant reputational damage, and things got pretty nasty. I knew the words he'd created in the album were neither stolen nor borrowed, um, but I had no exit strategy. So I asked the participating artists, and their responses were quite different from, from what I expected. Warren Maxwell told me the story of when he was a student at Whangarei High School, which he came to speak in 1985. And Warren can't remember anything he actually said, but that this made an enormous impact on him because quote unquote, he was the first successful Māori man he had seen speak to the school assembly. He couldn't unremember that. So we buckled up and made the new album, Maira, which were three concerts in, at the Auckland Arts Festival, AK eleven, a live recording for Radio New Zealand and a documentary for Maori television went pretty well. Um, this is my song Kingfisher Come Home which was constructed from the beautiful preface of Whitty's short story by the same name
1: Once there was a nest floating Was a, there was a nest Floating on the sea, at summer solstice Happy voices to charm the wind Ooh, happy voices to charm the way. is gone now drifting drifting away on the tide ooh but somewhere somewhere must surely float scattered strokes just a single straw which I may light upon. King Fisher, come home. King Fisher, come home. Never too far to roam. King Fisher, come home. Kingfisher, come home. Never too far to roam. Come home before the dark of night. Come home before you lose a light. Oh, Kingfisher. (laughs) tetori no hare fuck a mu fuck a mu de torino hare 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 tetori no hare fuck a mu fuck a mu no hare hare Kingfisher, come home Kingfisher, come home Never too far To roam Kingfisher, come home Kingfisher, come home Never too far to run
0: A curveball of another nature happened in 2015 as part of uh, a Toi Māori anniversary programme. I was approached to see if it was possible to remount a performance of Tu fāre. ten years uh, since the International Festival shows at the Wellington Town Hall. So, a reunion of Tu fāre artists. Yay! But also a rethink of the cast, two of whom, Mahinarangi Toka and Graham Brazier, had passed away. Well, one had retired, one was on a CNZ year-long residency in Berlin, and one was on a very successful tour in the UK. The songs, though, were already written, so the experiment was recasting. While we missed having the originators present their own work, the contributions from the new performers added a further dimension. The New Zealand trio were all now doctors of music. Dr Cormack, Dr Brown, and Dr Watson brought their bespoke stools and had to regenerate their sheet music um, because they didn't think they were going to need it again. They chucked it out after 10 years. Kirsten Taurito stepped up to fill in the mighty Mahinarangi toka's vocal duties while Amelia Grinnell swung in solo for Hinamawana's Baker, Where Will We Wander? There were now threads between the projects, with some of the artists from Ihumaina chipping in. I asked Warren Maxwell to fill in for Brother Brazier, which he did complete with harmonica. Horo and Paddy Black did a great version of Dallas Tamara's We Who Live in Darkness. Vocalist Sandy Mill had performed as the part of the Bellbirds in SJD's setting of Whitty's lyric, Our Watch Now, and I loved her performance. I asked her to cover Straw People's setting of Tufari's poem Covetous in the 10th anniversary, and the game was on. More crossovers with different performance styles, but the songs were still solidly in place and loved a good night out in their new outfits. Don McGlashan was even able to lure pianist Dave Guerin out of retirement to perform his achingly beautiful setting of Rain. And we had a magic night in Wellington's grand old lady, the Opera House, who thumbed her nose at the November 6.6 Richter scale earthquake three weeks earlier, and she held firm. Please welcome the luscious soulful Sandy Mill to sing Covetous for you accompanied by Showpony filling in for cellist Dr. Ashley Brown
4: kia ora everyone I'm ready I've seen Fall oh. Now it's over. Tell.
0: At the beginning of the year, I was interviewed by music journalist Graham Reid for The Listener as part of the run-up to the launch for the Mansfield album. Nice chat was had, and as, a, as an aside, he asked me if I'd been in touch with Andrew Bruff, a songwriter whose work I'd admired in the band Straightjacket Fits, particularly his song Down in Splendour. What I hadn't realised is the track he'd composed and recorded for Baxter back in 1999 was the last piece he'd ever recorded. He'd left live performance for good, and I respected that decision. It can be a hard horse to ride. I'd always appreciated his contribution to Baxter, despite his reluctance to perform, because he'd chosen a children's poem, Andy Dandy, covering off Baxter's work in the school journals. Andrew died on the 2nd of February 2020. A memorial concert had been planned for his birthday on the 13th of May, but that was in the middle of covid a year later, the memorial became a sold-out concert at the wine bar in Karangahapi Road. And I was asked to play Andrew's setting of the Baxter poem Andy Dandy live for the first time on what would have been his birthday this year, with Andrew's brother Donald on keys and his stepbrother Justin on guitar. So we're now going to give our version of Andy Dandy by Andrew Bruff.
1: You come a house with a bell at the door. If you wanna come in, just ring the bell. Mm-hmm. Say
0: After the ihimara performances in the Auckland Arts Festival and the release of the companion documentary on Māori TV, the poetry project tide receded a bit. I had a conversation with Universal's music, Alistair Kane, in 2012, and he said, What next? I think you've got one more in you, with a can-you-whip-one-up tone. Well, I, it got me thinking there was no one calling particularly, so I filed it. On a chance trip to the Wellington Public Library when it was open, I was wandering in the poetry section, and a slim volume caught my eye. The name was familiar, but the work wasn't, so I was curious. Professor Vincent O'Sullivan's edition of Poems of Catherine Mansfield restored her original erratic punctuation as well as adding unpublished later poems to make an extensive rather than a totalitarian anthology. It charted the progress of a working writer from late childhood through the fairly tumultuous events of his short life, and he supplied a great preface that KM could write for sure, and she had more than enough life, fated in scorn. It looked like she was using poetry as part of her toolkit. Some poems described as imagist in their uncluttering, the matching of a single mood to a single pictorial effect were later reworked as prose paragraphs. Single suits song. I knew her short stories were full of poetic overtones, but in her letters she wrote about her poems. They are not in verse or ve- vers libra. I cannot do those things. Elsewhere moaning, I am not a poet. But O'Sullivan presented evidence to the contrary. Her Cornwall poems, he noted, were as close as she came to developing an original poetic form, placing her rhythms and units of phrasing in a regular line length. I checked in with both Moana Baker and Chris Price, IML graduates and teachers, but more importantly musicians, who had performed in the Tuwhare Project concerts. Chris actually had played the very first note on a jembe drum, while well, she banged it, and they both supported my what do you reckon, Mansfield's poetry is a valid vein of source material for the word smithery she displayed in all her writing what Ali Smith calls her spick-and-span sentences, that she can do wonders with a single word, her musicality evident in the mythic pulses she uses. This is a woman whose first career choice was a cellist, Um, that her poems are full of biographical insight and the bright-eyed incisiveness she brought to daily life, giving voice to things that can't speak, birds, trees, lifts, and trains. So I dug in for a fresh focus on what O'Sullivan described as the fascination of the great prose writer's mind when, for various reasons, she chooses to move from Hermitiae. Plus, Catherine Mansfield and I shared at least one experience. We were baptised in the same font at Wellington Old St. Paul's. (laughs)
1: girls are mad in love with the river and the river unveils her face and smiles in her sleep brooding eyes the mirror her shining wings she lies on silver pillows the sun leans over her and he walks He kisses, oh, he kisses her. There are sparks in her hair and she stirs in laughter. He warms and he warms her. He kisses, oh, he kisses her. Be careful, my beautiful waking one, you'll catch on. The foam of the sea on their breast, the ineffable mist of the sea that clinging to her wild, wild wings, and she's crying the rapture, crying the rapture of the boundless ocean. The gulls are mad. The girls are mad in love with the river. The girls are mad in love love. with the river. The girls are mad in love. The girls are mad in love with the river. The girls are mad in love with the river. The girls are mad in love with the river. The girls are mad in love. Wake! We are the dream thoughts, and we're flying from your heart. Wake! We are the songs of desire and we're flowing from your bosom Wake, we are the dream thoughts We're flying from your heart Wake, we are the songs of desire and we're flowing from your bosom Well I think that the sun will lend her his great wings And a river will fly away to see with a man in love, birds, and he warms and he warms her. He kisses, oh, he kisses her. There are sparks in her hair, and she stirs in laughter. He warms and he warms her. He kisses, oh, he kisses her. Big Careful, my beautiful waking one, you'll catch on. Fire, you will catch on. Fire, you will catch on. You will catch on, you will catch on, you will catch on.
0: I've got to say that one of the highlights of these projects has been the opportunity to work closely with amazing New Zealand recording artists. I've never engaged complete novices, but established and exciting songwriters and performers who bring their not inconsiderable talents and specificities to these poems and texts, crafting new creatures. But as you can imagine, these artists come in all sorts of personalities and ways of moving through the world. While they're curated or selected for content and delivery, I've had the privilege of seeing people at their very best But sometimes they're less best. One artist had been banned from ever going into the Civic Theatre again, and I had to grovel to reverse that in 2007. Someone else was kicked out of the Christchurch Arts Festival Spiegel tent for repeatedly throwing glasses of red wine over another artist. But backstage at these shows, it's a fairly intense environment, on and off for a newly minted song each in a slightly unfamiliar context, so it can all get a a bit rock and roll, really. However, this next performer nearly didn't make the cut for the Mansfield album, not for her talent, but because schedules and infrastructure nearly didn't align. I could reel a long way out for her, but I was booked for a long-awaited pilgrimage to the Galapagos off the coast of Ecuador, and the plane had gone. To get to Ecuador, you have to go through the States, who invented the internet, and are very good at it. Brooke Singer's The Wounded Bird sneaked across the line while I was in Albuquerque, and I dropped off my mix for a production overhaul to Mark Tierney in LA, all quick as a wink. But the final Mansfield track was still out when I was sitting on a desert island looking at Darwin's finches. So she sang a version of Mansfield's important poem to LHB on her phone and fired an MP3 through. And we wriggled and we hopped to get it to download but it wouldn't. I could see it, but I couldn't hear it, which it wouldn't happen until I was in a bloody dial-up internet cafe in Quito under the, under the shadow of the Andes, by which time she'd recorded it for release and forwarded a stunning track. You. I'd loaded the, all the remaining tracks of Mansfield and sent them to Auckland for mastering. It took six hours, about three kilobytes a second, while we watch that we transfer circle go round and round and round. But this artist is a number one songwriter, and I've wanted to work with her for a very long time. She's a generous, warm-hearted person who's supported many artists and causes, and she's not afraid to call it. She has always been worth the wait. Please welcome Julia Deans.
5: Thank you. That's a nice introduction. I was prepared, uh, sort of contemplating just staying in the wings a little bit too long. Just to, <laughs> to see what to else I'd say. Yeah, and <laughs> to <of> the
0: way. <laughs> um, Julia, um, how did you write to LHB?
5: To me it's, it, it kind of builds. She's telling this story about mm. a dream about her, her lo- long lost, well, her dead brother... And she's building this beautiful story about when they were children and then there's a sort of a turning point when she um, you know she wakes from the dream and she says, um, I woke and heard, heard the wind moan and I woke and heard the roar of the dark water crashing on the shore and that just at that moment and just I don't know when I read it it was like my whole body went cold and then, then she has this yearning kind of anguished you know why can't I get back to the dream sort of expression why you know the the reality of of the world without her brother is painful and awful and it's that anger at not being able to go back to the way things were that's that's how I read it and um, yeah so that's that's how the music came out and I think it really did just come from the words being so powerful and I've this is the first time I've set someone else's words to music.
2: Last night, for the first time since you were dead, I walked with you, my brother. In a dream, we were at home again, beside the stream, fresh with all the emotions. White and red Don't touch them They are poisonous, I said When your hand covers And I saw a bee, A strange friend laughed to fly of the berries gleam You know.